Joseph Pettit said it was, so I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I'm going to throw you right out there in front of the bus. Tell me when I walked in this morning, said, statistically speaking, you are more likely to be killed by Hillary or Bill Clinton than you are an AR-15. <laughs> That's the good news for this morning. We'll go from there, guys. <laughs> I do not endorse this message. <laughs> no, I don't resemble the message either. Unfortunately, I feel a target on my back now. Guys, we're so glad you're here. If you would, just take just a minute and turn and speak to somebody. I want you to do one of two things. Either speak to somebody you don't know and introduce yourself, or if you're too cowardly to do that and you're going to speak to the buddy that you sit by every morning, tell them how you how you like about what you like about this uh, this new series we're working on, The 12 Steps. Good morning. All right, guys. So let's get started. Guys, we're so fortunate. <laughs> I've totally lost control. <laughs> John. Could you help me? Order in the court. Order in the court. Order in the court. <laughs> Coming right up. Guys, we're so, we're so fortunate that C Spire opens their doors to us each week and uh, provides the breakfast and coffee for us. And what a blessing it is that they do that for us each week and thank them for, for doing that. Guys, um, Phil just shared with me uh, deer camp results of last weekend, and I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask an alumni and, and, a, and a new person here. Cadden, how was it? Best one I've been to. Best one he's been to. Best one he's been to. You always say it's the best one ever. It is. Well, I just wanted to hear from somebody else that it was the best one. It was the best one ever. Best one ever. Guys, we're continuing in the series of 12 steps. Um, and as I've said before, 12 steps is not necessarily the 12 steps in the recovery of alcoholism. It's the 12 steps in recovery of any addiction. It's 12 steps, intentional steps in your growth in your relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Lord. And with that, let me open us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity of being able to gather here this morning. We thank you for ceasefire, Lord. We thank you for Phil as he prepared uh, the message for today and continues to work for those in the future. We ask that you would uh, speak through him this morning uh, and be over him as he travels back and forth. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gentlemen, um, I'm excited about this morning. And as we go through the 12 steps as a framework uh, for Christian growth and uh, uh, spiritual growth, uh, we look at step three today, make a decision. And um, I shared with you a couple weeks ago um, that I had a chance uh, to uh, introduce Billy Graham by doing my imitation of Billy Graham. and. Uh, I'm going to give you a little sample of that this morning uh, again. Uh, several people have asked me to do it again. And uh, <laughs> and most people have not asked me, but I don't care what you think. <laughs> I mean, I'm just having fun here anyway. Um, and so uh, Billy Graham's uh, funeral was this past Friday, and we celebrate uh, his life in uh, heaven uh, is in a uh, huge time of celebration, I know, ushering him in to the pearly gates. So uh, several years ago, uh, when we were in Philadelphia, uh, we uh, were working with Mrs. DeMoss, Art DeMoss's uh, wife, uh, Nancy DeMoss. She had a large outreach dinner party uh, that was a black tie affair and she persuaded Dr. Graham to come and speak um, as uh, we were um, consistently having noteworthy Christian um, people come and share their testimony. So she asked Dr. Graham to speak and she had a tent put up on her estate uh, and there was 2,000 people, a black tie affair under the tent. Yes, that was a tent. And um, I led a uh, prayer time during uh, the dinner with all of those in our ministry that were involved. So we had a hundred or so people just praying at the at our uh, local church. And afterwards, uh, Dr. Graham came over, and when he walked in the room, this is what I did. Just the other night, I was talking to Ruth. And I said, Ruth, you can't do it alone. Ruth, I want you to get up out of your chair with hundreds watching my television. The buses will wait. Ruth, I want you to get up out of your chair and just remember, you cannot do it alone. Ruth, just remember, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. The Bible tells you so. I want you to get up out of your chair right now. I want you to get up out of your chair, Ruth, and come forward. Hundreds watching by television. And Ruth, take out the trash. Uh, I was on husband probation for 90 days. Carla would not let me out of her sight. She would not let me out in public after that. And she sure wouldn't go out in public with me after that. So it took me a while to recover from that. But I, I do want to offer you a song this morning um, uh, that is so much tied in to step number three, the need to make a decision. Um. 
the true story um, behind uh, the song, I have decided to follow Jesus, is very powerful. I you to listen to this, listen to the words, hear the uh, story behind the song, and may you hear the voice of God, and may your heart be prepared for what he has for us this morning. Words are on the back of your notes. Amen, amen, amen. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. 12 steps, a classic model for spiritual growth. Follow with me as we read the introductory paragraph just to give us a framework uh, for this series. There at the top of your notes. The 12-step process is an experience of being changed by a loving, supportive God who knows what we need and helps us through our pain to see and give up our own selfish agendas and surrender to his. The 12 steps offer a structure of discipline to become holy and whole. Our task is to remove the self-imposed blocks or character defects that stand between God and us. We do this so we can be awakened, meet God personally with our own true selves, and do his will. The 12 steps are like scaffolding that allows the spiritual house of our personal life to be built. This study of the 12 steps would be an amazing spiritual adventure. Act like a man. Step three, <clears throat> make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step three involves a decision to let God be in charge of our lives. Gentlemen, <clears throat> I'm going to challenge you this morning as best I know how to make a decision. Is it going to be God or is it going to be you? We're in a battle every day, every day. Who's going to be in charge, you or God? My hope is this morning, my prayer is this morning as we spend these few minutes together that you will have a renewed a refreshed, a reboot, or maybe a beginning of allowing God to be in control of your life. As we've gone through step one, step one brought us to a place of realizing that we've got to surrender. We need a, a, high, a higher power, and his name is Jesus. We need to bow our knee now, not wait till we have to, because one day every knee will bow. That will be an amazing time. It's better to bow now than to bow when it's too late. You will bow the knee to Jesus. Every man will. And step two that we talked about last week is the idea of beginning to place our faith, our trust in that who is greater than us. It's always about trust. What are you trusting in now? If you're trying to control, which is the heartbeat of our sin, then you're trusting in your ability rather than trusting in God's 
ability to direct your life. So this morning we come to step three and step three is about making a decision. Okay, okay, it's time to saddle up and ride on. You to pick up your pen, let's go to work intentionally and deliberately and I have three questions for you. <clears throat> the first question that I um, challenge you with is what are the specific fears that come to mind when you consider turning your will and your life over to God? What scares you about that? Turn your life over to God. Why is that so scary? What is it about that that scares you? Uh, as Joe mentioned, uh, we just had um, our men's coaching weekend this past weekend. We had 38 men at Ebenezer Place, our 21-acre retreat site in Holmes County. We believe that to be an awesome place because as Genesis 28 says, that when God moves into a place, as Jacob said, a certain place becomes an awesome place by the presence of God. One of our men who was there that will go unnamed uh, made a decision uh, to go seek 90 days of treatment. He left on Sunday afternoon not to go home, but to a very, very, very scary place for him and that was to check himself in to a treatment center for 90 days. He was scared and excited at the same time. What fear must you face? I really believe that if you want to grow, if you're serious about growing, not just surviving, not just controlling, but if you're serious about growth, Ask God to reveal what you're afraid of and start facing your fear. You'll grow. You'll grow. Second question. <clears throat> what areas of your life do you have difficulty trusting God in? What areas of your life? Finances? I can't trust God with my finances. Family matters, those relationships. Intimacy needs. I'm not having sex enough. Therefore, I only have, I have to look at pornography. That's my only escape. Dude, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And I've actually heard that said. I've heard guys tell me that. That they thought that pornography was okay because they weren't, having sex with their wife, and that was just like, well, what do you expect me to do? You know, I expect you to trust God. That's what I expect you to do. Guys, I have to tell you that, it, that um, I'm, I'm a very blessed man. I, I mean, I'm such in a great season of my life, and that could change <laughs> this afternoon. So I, there's a part of me that's <laughs> hesitant to even, you know, like knock on wood, you know. Uh, hesitant to acknowledge where I am, but I'm in a good place. I've been in dark places in my own life, but right now I'm in a good place. But I'll tell you that the hardest thing for me right now in my life, and I would ask for your prayers, is trusting God with my two daughters. It is such a hard place. 
I have a 31-year-old daughter. They're both in good places, but they're not where I would like them to be. I would like them to be in a better place. And if you'll buy me lunch sometime, I'll tell you all about that. You buy, I'll talk. Today is my youngest daughter. She's 28. This is her birthday. So I'm kind of sharing this with you in some ways because they're really on my mind. Glenn, you know, it was so much easier when I was making peanut butter sandwiches and changing diapers for them. I I thought that was hard. It's harder now because my heart aches for them to be where I would like them to be. But I'm a blessed man. But there is not a man in here that's not faced with difficulties that you want to do this and you want to control, and yet God continues to invite us to open the hand and walk like this. Trust me. Trust me for the daily manna that I give you. Third question. Have you made a commitment to your life to Jesus Christ? Have you decided, as was in the song, to follow Jesus? There is nobody in here that's made that decision that does that perfectly. That's why it's by grace. It's not by performance. You know, if I wanted to make you uh, feel really guilty, I'd ask you, how's your prayer life? How's that work for you? Oops. Well, it's okay. You know? How many people have you led to Christ this week? Well, not too many, just enough. So there's all ways, all kinds of ways for us to feel guilty. None of us do enough because it's not about doing enough. It's by God's grace. But I want to follow you, Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. One of our guys came up to me uh, Saturday morning. Or notice it was a Sunday morning. Uh, at deer camp, we call our men's coaching weekend deer camp. And he pulls me aside. He said, Phil, 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 can I, can I, can I talk to you a minute? I said, sure. And he said, he said, uh, now I, I've got a couple questions for you and you might want to think on these, uh, cause they're hard questions and it's okay if you can't answer them right now, but I, but I just want to ask and I'm thinking, okay, here it comes, you know, stump the professor questions. And, uh, I said, okay, that's cool. He said, first question, and he's really struggling with the whole God thing and Jesus thing, and he had, he had come uh, from out of state and, and um, come a long way and heard about us and wanted to be a part, and, and he didn't really know what he was coming to, but he was starting to get the idea by Sunday morning. And so he said, um, okay, for, for, first question, he said, he said, you know, um, how is it? that there's so much evil in the world and how can you believe in God when he allows shootings uh, in Florida in a high school and all the, all the shootings going on and, and all the evil in the world? How, 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 does, how do you believe in a God uh, like that? And I said, wow, that's such a great question. It's a great question. And I said, you know, God is so loving that he put Adam and Eve in the garden 
and evil had already started when Adam and Eve were in the garden. It wasn't the fall that was the beginning of evil. It was when Lucifer fell from heaven, the most beautiful of angels. Evil was already in existence. And God kind of placed all that evil in that tree of the knowledge of uh, uh, good and evil. And he said, don't eat of that tree, not because he was trying to uh, withhold, but he was wanting to protect them from a reality that they didn't need to be a part of. And he said, "You everything is good and you enjoy. And then the serpent comes along and the serpent uh, tricks them, deceives them into thinking that all the good stuff is over there. And we've been living like that ever since, that we thought all the good stuff was over there. And Adam and Eve ate of that tree, thinking that they would have more. And all of a sudden they had less. And all hell broke loose and evil broke loose at that time. And that's why there's evil in the world. Because God has allowed in redemptive time between Eden and heaven, this time when evil reigns on the earth. But immediately when that happened, God declared war on the serpent. And he said to the serpent, my servant will come and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Look it up. It's Genesis 3, 17, the most important uh, verse in the Bible relative to redemptive time. Because at that point, God was going to bring a rescuer. And yes, there's evil in the world, but God's on top of it. And he has brought one to redeem us and save us. And that's what I said to him. His eyes were big. It's like, wow. Okay. I said, you had a second question? <laughs> he said, he said, yeah. I said, the second question is, how, how do you believe in a book that's written by all these authors and they're coming from different perspectives and 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 they and and they contradict each other and they and they have all these different views and said how do you believe in that i said oh wow dude that's such a great question such a great question i said let's just take the gospels for instance matthew mark luke and john i said you know the the thing that is so amazing is it's not uh, contradictory. It's not inconsistent that they are consistent with the truth, but God allowed their personalities and their audience to be a part of their writing. Matthew was a gospel written to the Jews and it's full of Jewish symbolism. Mark was written to the Romans and it's very concise. They're on the move. It's short, concise. John was the beloved disciple and he writes in an intimate way about Jesus. It's so consistent. It is amazing that it's not full of contradictions. Thank you, he said. Thank you. I wish that I had his feedback sheet at the end. Um, I don't have it with me this morning. And what he wrote on the feedback sheet, I don't know that he's come to Jesus yet, but wow. On a zero to 10 scale, 10 coming to Jesus and zero nowhere, he was at zero when he started. And I would say he's probably at a seven or eight right now. Praise Jesus. Make a decision. Make a decision. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> By the time we get to Romans 12, Paul has taken us on a journey of uh, theology, what to believe, and then we get into Romans 12, and now it is practical application. It's like biology class. You have the lecture. The lecture is the first... Um, 
uh, seven, eight chapters of Romans, and then you get into Romans 12, and it's like the laboratory. This is how you live life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Wow. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God, I, I don't want to do anything for you today. I just want to be with you. I am with you today. Don't be conformed to the world. Man, the world is so crazy. I saw, I saw where somebody posted um, um, on the, the internet uh, this week, you know, um, people are uh, in this uh, protest group, all kinds of signs. This one little gal, she's got red hair, dyed red hair, and she's got this sign. And the sign says, stop killing alligators to make gator aid. <laughs> true, true. I saw it, dude. I saw it. It's like, bless her heart. That's what we say in Mississippi, you know? Bless her heart. All that Gatorade going to waste and those alligators being killed every day, it's just not right, you know? It's just not right. Don't be conformed to the world. Look over at Matthew or uh, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, Jesus is talking with a religious leader. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, one of the teachers of religious law, one of the religious guys was standing there listening to the discussion and he realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Here's that question, stump the professor question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Love, love, love more, love well, love. The teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I hear sarcasm in that. Well said, teacher. That was, that was pretty good. You know, if I think of another one, I'll, I'll come back with another one. Well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And again, he's mocking him at this point, one God. He doesn't believe in a Trinitarian God. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbors as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. When I read that, I just hear the roteness. He knew the Bible trivia answer. He knew the intellectual answer, but there was no heart in that. There's sarcasm in that. Realizing this man's understanding, Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. 
Wow. Jesus got a little sarcasm in his own voice there. You're not far, but dude, you ain't there. That's the implication. You're not far. You can see it from where you are, but you're not there. It is possible to have all the right answers and to have no heart. You can be right in your head and you will die because of the heart. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> Discussion over. Discussion over. Make a decision. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Who are you going to follow? Verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, fishing with a net, for they were commercial fishermen. And Jesus called out to them, come, be my disciples, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and went with him. I don't believe that that was a random meeting. I don't believe that that was the first time they ever saw Jesus. I think they'd been standing around watching Jesus. They'd heard of Jesus. Um, somehow God was moving in their heart. But when Jesus did call them, they heard Jesus' voice. They followed him. Has that happened in you? Has that happened in you? Man. Man. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, um, I was a very, very confused, perplexed, and scared college student at the University of Tennessee. And in a puddle of tears, a friend of mine led me to Christ. I had known the gospel all my life. I grew up in a little country church in Elizabethan, Tennessee. Knew all the hymns, knew, knew how to do the sword drill that we did, you know, the sword drill, uh, Bible trivia. I could, I, I'd, I'd been a pretty good member on your team if a Bible trivia contest broke out. But what I'd never done is surrender my heart to Jesus. And with my friend leading me uh, through the uh, sinner's prayer, I simply just said, I surrender. I laid my guns down on the table, and I did the most powerful act that a man can do, and that is to surrender to the Lord Jesus. It is our only hope. It is our only hope. I began to live as best I knew how and continue to do living my life like that and confessing as best I know how when I do that. Control is at the root of your sin and my sin. I want to be in control. See, it looks like this. If we're going to work... <clears throat> With step three, it's all about a choice. I've got to make a choice. And either I'm going to go toward control or I'm going to go toward surrender. 
we have this need to control. It's interesting that the uh, big book of AA describes the alcoholic's most basic problem, not as alcohol. Even AA says alcohol is not your problem. Isn't that interesting? I thought, I thought alcohol is my problem. You know, I've quit drinking. But you know what AA calls those who have quit drinking but are not in recovery? A dry drunk. It's a dry, you're still a drunk because you're still trying to be in control. Self-centered and the need to control is our problem. Anger becomes evident in the relationships as control is attempted or resisted relative to whether you are controlled or the controller. We have a need to surrender. Bring it to God. I'm going to show you a clip out of the uh, out of the movie uh, Bill W. And and I love this clip because it starts out with a handshake. This clip starts out with a handshake. And it is the idea of being welcomed into a redemptive relationship. Every problem you have is a relationship problem. Every problem you have is a relationship problem. You you think about that. If you're having problems with that, call me and make an appointment and you can pay me uh, to answer that more fully. Be glad to help you. Relationship problem. What's this as Bill W. meets Dr. Bob? Wrong clip. No. No. That's, that's the one from last week, Jeff. All right, all right, you work with that. We'll continue. <clears throat> Surrender is hard. Surrender is hard. How do you know if you surrendered? How would you know? Again, part of the challenge in knowing whether or not we've surrendered is knowing that we're feeling something different. The healing is in the feeling. Intellectualization versus experiencing the emotional meaning, very important. For, for example, let's just say that you're in my office and you really need to surrender in such a way that your wife feels love coming from you. She doesn't feel love from you. And then you keep saying to her in my office, across the room, I love you. I love you. And she keeps saying, I don't feel loved. I don't feel loved. It's empty words. You keep saying you love me, but I don't feel loved. And you're, and you're going crazy by this time. It's like, I, I can't believe you won't trust me. I said, I love you. And she looks back and she says, You know what I would do at that point is I would ask her to leave the room because I don't want to embarrass you in front of her. I'd ask her to leave the room. Then I'd look over at you and I would say, dude, quit trying to persuade her. Quit trying to persuade her. And when she comes back in here, you get down on your knees and you say, I have failed. And I'm emotionally broken. I don't know how to love you. I truly don't. 
I want you to show me. I'm teachable. Help me to know. I am so sorry for how I've hurt you. You try that, and you do it as sincerely as you know how, and you might get lucky. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Guys, we have got to get out of our heads. You can't do it in your head. You've got to be emotional. And that's why Jesus even said, some of you guys have said that you've known me, and when you get to the pearly gates, I'm going to look at you and say, no, I didn't know you. Because knowing is a sexual term. It means the deepest of intimacy, really knowing. It's not knowing like two plus two is four. It's like knowing, intimately acquainted. Surrender is what brings that about. Now watch this. Doc, uh, Bill W. meets Dr. Bob. I love that. I love that. We believe in an incarnational gospel. That's what the Bible teaches. An incarnational gospel is Jesus with skin on it. I need people that reflect Jesus to me. I can't just read about Jesus. I need to experience Jesus. I need to feel loved. And the way I have the best opportunity to feel loved is to surrender and make a decision to put my trust in a power greater than me. You know how to know that you've not surrendered? Is one is there's no feeling and lexalization. Number two is there's lots of anger. Anger is a sign that you're still trying to be in control. It's so hard to get rid of because most men, that's what we struggle with. Anger, anger, anger. And what we don't want to do is own our part. We want other people to own their part. But the way you know that you surrender is when you're willing to own your part. I have failed. I have failed. Gentlemen, it is so important that we fire God, that we fire the God that's in our head and find the God that lives in our heart. He comes into our heart in tabernacles among us. Decide to follow Jesus. As Billy Graham said, you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Make a decision to give up control. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much that you have given us a power greater than ours. You've even given us faith to believe in you. You've given us an object that is always with us, and his name is Jesus. Uh, help us to submit, surrender to that, believe in that, open our hands from a clenched fist and trust you in a way that brings life to us and love and healing to all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.